Good morning, God's people. And what a joy to be part of the worship uh, this morning. And uh, I'm so thrilled to be part of this Wolfest series, which reminds us of our responsibility of Great Commission. I'm thankful to Pastor Mike, Cara, and uh, Pastor Troy, and the leadership who allowed me to come here and speak to you this morning. And now you know that I'm not a native English speaker. <laughs> you know how to forgive my accent and just enjoy my speaking. You know, that's what you could do. Well, um, this is my family. Uh, they're somewhere here or maybe they're outside there. And uh, we were in India recently for... Uh, uh, three months visiting various places, serving the Lord in various capacities, uh, particularly training 900 Christian leaders for effective evangelism and church planting. God is powerfully moving in that part of the world. Every time we go to India, God opens our eyes to see the new realities, new opportunities. New harvest fields. So we are very grateful to the Lord for the calling that we have from Him. If you want to know more about our ministries, please visit uh, servingalongside.org and pray for us. That is the end of commercials. Well, let us turn to God's Word. The scripture portion we will look at this morning is a very familiar passage. Chosen from the gospel according to John chapter 4, verses beginning from 27 through 38. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage And harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Most of you know the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. This event happened in the first year of Jesus' ministry when he and his disciples were traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. 
they were taking a shortcut from, I mean, through Samaria, which was uncommon for Jews to walk. And it was noontime. Jesus was tired from journey and he sat by a well in Sychar. And the disciples had gone to buy food. Meanwhile, a woman who was probably widowed, exploited or abandoned by five husbands, browbeat in every sense, makes her way to the well where Jesus was sitting to take some water. She did not expect anyone to be there at the well, culturally speaking, at that time of the day. But Jesus knew that she would come there. As Jesus began to talk to her, she just thought she was talking to a reformed Jewish rabbi who needed some water. As Jesus began to talk more to her and more into her life, she began to see him as a prophet who would in turn give her living water. And now Jesus talks more, not just about her own life, but also about himself, who he was, and about God who seeks true worshippers. Immediately she opens her eyes to see that he was none other than the Messiah would to come. Then she drops her water jar, runs to her village and tells them in excitement, Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be Christ? Now the disciples returned with food and they saw Jesus talking to this woman. Interestingly, they did not pay any attention to their conversation, nor even bothered to ask Jesus about the woman, even what was the discussion all about. In other words, they saw her as non-existent because of their Jewish socio-cultural and traditional background. That's why John had not even mentioned her name in the story. But Jesus saw in her a great harvest field which disciples failed to see at that moment of time. So he had to tell his disciples, Behold, I say unto you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. So what do we learn from this story today? We can't see the fields as ripe unless we understand God's vision for the world. Unless we understand the heart of God for the world, we will not be able to see the fields as ripe or ready for harvest. Jesus knew the heart of God. He was on his father's business with no boundaries of race, ethnicity, socio-cultural preferences, risk of enmity, or for that matter, even human hunger. 
The early disciples were Jews. Relatively new, but excited to be on board with Jesus. And very active in baptizing more people than John the Baptist. But they seem to be not excited about many Samaritans flocking towards Jesus and confessing that he is the savior of the world. They seem to have forgotten the covenant promise that God gave to their forefather Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God chose Israel to be a mortal nation so that they will show the salvation to the Gentile nations around them. But they became so theocentric to the extent that the true God only belongs to them. They did not want to include Gentiles in the plan of salvation. They became more concerned about the mark of the covenant which is circumcision rather than the covenant itself. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, they call everyone else as godless. Whereas it was their responsibility to give the true God to the people around them. Think about Jonah the prophet when God told him to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel of repentance. Jonah wouldn't go there. He knew that God would change his mind. He is kind to everyone like he was kind to Israelites. So he took the opposite route, running away from God. And he chose death rather than blessing Gentiles. So Jesus had to challenge his disciples time and again to look outside their box to the people who, have, who they have labeled as heretic, unclean and hapless. And he wants to bring their attention to the fields that they have previously seen as unfit for the harvest. So he tells them, open your eyes, open your eyes. But even after hearing this regularly, at one time they were discussing among themselves who is the greatest. That's what's happening in our churches even today. Right? Don't we? Think about Peter, one of the close disciples of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't want to go to Cornelius' house because he's Gentile. God had to intervene with him, showing the vision. That he should not call anyone unclean, which God calls them clean. Then even when he goes and meets with Cornelius, and he repeats that, you know that we do not associate with Gentiles. He repeats that because it was so ingrained into his heart. Do you know that it took almost 10 years after Great Commission was given to the disciples? That they break their socio-cultural boundaries and then go out to the Gentile world. It took 10 years for them to cross their boundaries and go beyond their comfort zones. It was persecution that scattered them around the world so that they could preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We are no different from those disciples. Knowing theology doesn't mean we are so spiritual. 
Analyzing God's word well doesn't mean that we know God so intimately. Attending church regularly doesn't mean that we are involved in the great commission work or fulfilling the great commission work. As far as I have seen the church, whether here or in India or Mexico or elsewhere, many believers or many members of the church show up, pay up, and shut up. They think the responsibility of the Great Commission rests with the pastor or with the staff of the church or parachurch organizations or career missionaries. When someone tells them, of course, you need to serve the Lord because you are a Christian and they say, yeah, I know that, but I'm not ready yet. That is the typical answer we get from, you know, members of the church everywhere in the world. 26 years ago when God reminded me his heart for the world, my heart broke when I heard about one of the states of India called Himachal Pradesh. Up top. And it is so tough place for evangelists to go and preach gospel there. I felt God was calling me to go there, so I took two and a half days train without reservation. Travel from south all the way to the north. And I mastered their language and culture within a few months of time by the help of God and began to preach the gospel. A few months later, some people showed up before my door and asked me, Are you Manohar? Yes, I, I am. Okay, so do you preach the gospel? Yes, I do. Okay, so stop doing that. Lest we will, lest you risk your life here. If you want to be alive, better stop preaching and go back to where you have come from. But I haven't stopped or I was scared. I continued preaching the gospel. Six months later, they saw me preaching the gospel in, in, in a bus stand. And they saw me distributing the tracts. And six people came with some rods and clubs and they beat me like dog. And I became unconscious and I didn't know and they dragged me near the road thinking I was dead. After 45 minutes... I got up because somebody resuscitated me by sprinkling water. I limped back to the town, preaching the gospel because I know the heart of God. God loves them because they did something that they didn't know what they were doing. If you know the heart of God, you, you will count the persecution as nothing. The limitation says nothing. In the light of eternity, in the light of great commission, all the limitations that you see around are nothing. Whether it is language, culture, or anything, you have to be willing to risk your life for the sake of gospel. That is the heart of God. God himself risked his own son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I can be saved. Second, we need to have the eyes of Jesus. 
to see the world. Or we need to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. If you read Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 36, we read there, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw people differently than the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the priests of the day. They were not different crowds he saw, but he saw them differently. Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious people were immune to the physical and spiritual problems of the day. But Jesus was moved with compassion. He had totally the set of eyes of God, so he was seeing a different vision than everybody else. So he felt compassion towards them. I remember when I was in the final year of my seminary education, I had an opportunity to intern um, at a church and stay with a pastor's family for a while. One day pastor's wife asked me, uh, you know, to go and get her detergent bar. She gave me some money. So I took bicycle to, the, uh, to go to town and buy a detergent bar. And then as soon as I went uh, to the town and uh, there were crossroads and there is a roundabout and at the center of these crossroads, um, there is an elevated statue high. And uh, when I saw people were moving busy everywhere and I was seeing as if these people are slipping into hell. So something gripped my heart and the compassion was shaking my heart. Then I felt, Lord, Give me courage so that I will go and rescue them from the damnation of hell. And I have no clue what I was doing. Immediately I rushed to the center of this crossroads and I climbed to the platform of this statue and began to call everyone to me. Interestingly, everybody began to rush towards me thinking that I was going to commit suicide. Then I told them, the life is temporary. There is something called eternal grace that if you are willing to receive. Then I shared gospel with them. After 45 minutes or so, I found myself by the roadside praying for people. Then I was so glad I did it. Only I realized that I was in the power of God when I did that. If I was in my physical Nature, like I was like 20 years old, I would not have done that shameful thing. I went back home and pastor wife saw me and asked me, Manohar, what's special? Why are you so joyful? I said, well, this is what happened there. I hope somebody will show up in the service on Sunday. Oh, great. Where is my detergent bar? I said, what detergent? Then she said, I gave you money. Oh, then I looked in my pocket, there was money there. Anyway, I went and bought her, you know, 
detergent bar. But I tell you, the following Sunday, some of them showed up in the church. Had I not seen the people through the eyes of Jesus in those streets, half of those people would have never had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we be true disciples of Jesus Christ? If we do not see the world through the eyes of Jesus, the fields wouldn't be visible to us as ripe for harvest. I'm telling you. Why we have not reached the world even today is because we do not have the vision of God. We do not have the eyes of Jesus. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he always said this. I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. It was Father's vision. And now he's telling, see the world through my eyes. So you will understand. So when was the last time you read something about unreached people group? In a book or watched a video through the eyes of Jesus? When was the last time you were moved with compassion? When you heard about unreached people groups. You can't feel the urgency in your soul unless you are compassionate like Jesus. You know, a few months passed by after Jesus told them to open their eyes... To see the neglected fields, Jesus sends out 12 disciples into the field. In Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38, this is what he told them before sending them. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Look at that. Jesus is telling them, now you saw the fields are ripe. Now you have to see that it is plenty. Means you cannot accomplish by yourself. You need more workers to be added so that the work can be accomplished. So as you go, keep praying. I believe their prayer was answered. You know, when Jesus sent these people, don't think that Jesus sent them in the morning and they returned in the evening. He sent them probably one month at a time. When he sent 72, probably he sent them for almost two or two and a half months. Do you know that? They were living by faith and then they were relying on the words of Jesus. So when they obeyed to pray to the Lord of the harvest to add more workers, so 12 people multiplied to unit 20 to 72. Then he tells, now again you pray for more workers. And the 72 God chose were ordinary people like you and me. They were like intercultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, multilingual. And some of them are, I mean, Gentile converts. They didn't know Jewish theology or scriptures. But they were chosen and sent out because of where their heart was. Their heart was set on the eternity. When the 72 come back, they say, Lord, we have seen even Satan obey you. 
when we use your name. Look at the power of Jesus when he sends out people. So when he sent them, he gave them twofold strategy here. Pray for more workers. Some of you know this man, Hudson Taylor. In 1830s, when his parents, James and uh, Amelia Taylor, a godly Methodist family, heard about the desperate need for missionaries in China, they began to pray every day, asking God to send more workers into China. They were faithfully interceding for missionaries to be added to the team in China. In 1832, when their son was born, they were so excited, and then they prayed over their child, son, saying, God, send this boy to China so that he may work for you. Well, contrary to their prayer, Hudson Taylor backslidden for a while. Until 17, he doesn't want to walk in the way of the Lord. One day he found a gospel track that changed his heart at once. Sooner the Lord laid a burden in his heart for China. At the age of 21, he left for China all of a sudden. And he didn't even know that his parents had prayed for him for long 21 years. That he would end up there for Jesus. He founded China Inland Mission, which we call today OMF which sent 800 missionaries within China and established 125 schools, won more than 18,000 people for Christ. God honored the prayer of his parents so that people could be reached in China. So when was the last time that you prayed for more workers to be sent to Pakistan? To Iran, Indonesia, China, Northern Nigeria, North Korea, where it is so difficult to preach the gospel. It's so easy for us to pray for the safety of missionaries, provision for missionaries, but we don't often pray that God would send more workers to those countries in 1040 window. Even for that matter, when was the last time you prayed that God would send more workers in your neighborhood? In your school where you study, in your college where you study, or in the office where you work? You know what happens if you continue to pray for more workers? God may prepare you alongside considering your request to send more workers. So you need to be prepared to go. We don't know how. So his true disciples are disciple makers. Okay, now, who are the, who are the true disciples? Ah, oh, it's not convicting. Conviction, I need conviction. I heard that you are a mission, mission, mission church, mission, missional church. Is that true? I don't hear it with conviction. Then let's see, let's see one more time. His true disciples are? That's a little better. 
Okay, where is it going? Okay, good. So the true mark of discipleship is making discipleship. Making disciples for Lord Jesus Christ. In order to be a laborer, you don't have to become a pastor, so-called evangelist, a deacon or career missionary. You don't have to. But if you're not gifted in any of those missionary offices, it doesn't mean that you're free from the responsibility of Great Commission either. You can be everyday missionary where you are because the Lord is bringing nations to your doorsteps. If you do not have passion for the world, you will ignore all the people that are coming to this country. You know, in 1800s, India was not willing to send students to the university in the West here. You know why? Because they were afraid that any student who comes here would not go back to their country without becoming a Christian. So they were so scared to send them. But today, they are coming in hundreds and hundreds of thousands here for education. None of them are touched by the gospel. The Lord is bringing unreached people groups to your doorsteps. And what are we doing about that? You don't have to plan too much or waste your time. All you need is obedience to his call and willingness to be a laborer for him. That's all it takes. God will honor your passion. I do not know you have ever heard about Reverend E.P. Scott. He was a missionary to India in the 1800s. He felt incompetent in the mission field because of language and cultural differences and difficulties. But he could beautifully play violin. So wherever he went, he carried violin with him. One day he saw a man of strange appearance in the city where he was working in India. So he approached him and asked him where he belongs to. Then he heard that he belongs to a mountain tribe close by. So he asked him whether he knew Jesus. He said, no, I never heard about Jesus. That gripped his heart and he was filled with compassion. He went back home and knelt and began to weep. God, how could you empower me that I could go there? Would you please send me there? Against the advice of his fellow missionaries, he decided to go there. After traveling a long journey, he ended up going to that tribal village. And as soon as he reached their place, he was met by a large group of warriors who quickly surrounded him, each one pointing a spear to his heart. And he knew, even before he opens his mouth, he'll die. So expecting to die, he decided to glorify God, at least at his last breath. So he took his violin and began to play and sing along, all hail the power of Jesus' name in their language. He sang the first stanza, the second, the third, and then beginning of fourth stanza, Scott realized that he was still standing. He was not dead yet. So everything is quite outside, peaceful, so he quietly opened his eyes to see what's happening, and he saw every spear lowered, and every eye filled with tears. 
And they said, Dora means white man. They don't know anything. It means, sir, would you please tell, tell us more about your God? We are willing to listen. They opened their houses to him. And he was there for two and a half years, winning many souls to Jesus Christ. There are hundreds of thousands of people in the world, if not billions, perishing without an opportunity to hear the gospel. There are countries in the world which have not seen a single page of the Bible in their lifetime. We are living in a blessed country. Probably the best country in the world with tremendous religious freedom. We have about 1600 Christian radio stations which are bombarding with gospel 24-7. We have scores of commentaries on Bible. We have dozens of Bible versions. And we don't know what to do with them. We dust off from ourselves every day. For every 200 people or so, there is an ordained pastor here. So what we're supposed to do with all these privileges that we have, we're supposed to be more spiritual, we're supposed to be more missional. But what's the result? Just the opposite. Less than 35% of Christians in this country go to church regularly and read the Bible. Eight out of ten people who go to church regularly never share gospel with anyone. So what is happening with us? Why we are not gripped by compassion like Jesus was gripped by compassion when he saw the crowds? Are we becoming like Pharisees? Or priests of the day and we have lost our passion for the world? Sometimes we see... Sharing the gospel as interrupting people's privacy, disrespectful, unsocial, even to the extent of seeing it as idiotic. Being passionate about Christ or mission is misinterpreted as religious fanaticism. How can we change our attitude? How can we open our eyes? To see the world the way Jesus would see. The way Jesus would show to us. How can we break that bondages in our life? In my country alone we have 2,300 people groups. Which have never heard the gospel. Never heard the name of Jesus. We have 500,000 villages with no Resident gospel workers. Whereas you have what? An ordained pastor here for every 200 people or so. We don't want to run a religion like everybody else. We want to be like Jesus. In John chapter 2 verse 6 we see that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In other words, whoever claims to be a Christian must live as Christ did. That's why he emphasized, I'm sending you as Father has sent me. 
once Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. My version of that is, the two most important days of your life are the day you are saved and the day you find out why. There is that special emphasis on that. He saved you for some reason. Now the question is, what is that which holds you back from being his true disciple? How is that we have created a Christ of our convenience to navigate our plans into his? And do the things that satisfy us than him? If we are following true Christ or the Christ of the New Testament, you cannot be quiet. You have to be like him. Outgoing for him. Being passionate about people. That's what I do. Whether I'm in Coles, I look for souls. Whether I'm in Walmart, I look for people. I shop for people. I window shop for people sometimes. But that has become my DNA. I don't do it anymore like, you know, mechanical or something. It, it comes naturally because God has gave that eyes to me to see as Jesus would do. If you're following the Christ of the New Testament, how could you become more like him and join him on his mission? So what are the implications for today? Know God's heart for the world and you will never be the same. See the world through the eyes of Jesus, you will be filled with compassion. Be on mission with Jesus, the world will be reached. There are resources available. Get those books or take a perspective class or you know, subscribe for some ministry newsletters and read stories. And uh, write down the names of the countries that have never heard the name of Jesus. And go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord of the harvest in prayer. And keep pleading Him. Don't be satisfied until you are satisfied in Him. Probably take one week of the day Fast and pray. Lord, send someone else or send me or else I die. The passion should grip. Friends, this life will soon pass away. Soon pass away. I'm now 45. I used to think I will never get old. I used to think I'm always strong. And recently I had a knee injury. That's why I'm walking like an old man. I have a reconstruction surgery. We don't know. I always see my life is short. What can I do to be on mission with Jesus? Not for Jesus, with Jesus. May God give us grace to see the world or to see the unreached people groups through the eyes of Jesus. Understand the heart of God for the world and be like him. May God bless you. Amen.